today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I would suggest, fair to say, it was a pretty pretty eventful night last night and through the weekend as the Hamilton Tiger Cats made a trade, uh, sending Johnny Manziel, and we'll talk about the other players involved, but Manziel is now a Montreal Alouette, and joining us is uh, the guy who kind of put the uh, put the seal on the deal, uh, the Tiger Cats uh, general manager, uh, Eric Tillman, uh, joins us. Uh, Eric, uh, it's been a while. How are you, sir? Uh, doing great. As you said, it's been a hectic uh, few hours. All right, let's uh, let's talk about this first of all. Where did the uh, the idea come? Uh, how did all this germinate? Well, you know, Ted, it's it's actually been an ongoing process. It goes back, if you can believe it, all the way to I think March of 2017. So I mean, we're looking at like 18 months of conversations. This was long before Johnny came up here. Montreal had expressed interest in his rights. We'd had many conversations. Quite frankly, multiple offers and and. Um, but it really, you know, this really started gaining speed in the last 96 hours or so where we thought, you know, hey, this may actually actually happen. And, you know, a lot of people were involved in the discussions. And at the end of the day, I think we came up with a deal that, that, that benefits both clubs. It's, you know, Montreal gets a, an elite level player, a guy that will energize that franchise. And, you know, for us, it certainly is a tremendous deal. But we think both short term and long term particularly with the two number one draft picks. Eric, you know, I, I was watching the game on Saturday night, and you you couldn't help but notice Mike Sherman on the sideline, the coach of the Alouettes, just look absolutely, I don't know if I want to use the term, perplexed or deep in thought. You could tell that he was not happy. At that point, were there really conversations in earnest to get Johnny Manziel traded to the Alouettes, or did all of this really happen after the game? No, like I said earlier, it had been going on for several days, and, 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 and Saturday, before they played their game, I probably had literally two hours of phone conversations with, with Cavus, um, almost right up in before kickoff. So before that game started, I think, you know, from, from, from June to Scott Mitchell, all of us, we knew that we were probably 90 95% you know, done. It was just going to be a matter of what the final details were going to be. So I, I'm, I'm sure that Mike is, is super excited. And for any of your listeners that don't know, and again, it's amazing what a small world it is, Mike was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, went from Green Bay to Texas A&M as head coach, and Johnny was committed to Oregon and changed his commitment from Oregon to Texas A&M. So he's going to Montreal to play for a guy that recruited him at the university level, a guy that knows him, that knows his strengths, that they already have a trust and a bond, and you know that's one of many reasons that we think it's a good fit for Johnny. Did uh, uh, people wonder, you know, um, actually we should go back a bit, because I remember when uh, you announced the signing of Johnny Manziel, and you were standing right next to me at that news conference at Tim Hortons Field, and Johnny was speaking, and you said to me, you uh, kind of quietly said to me, he's doing very well, He's he, he looks so much more confident. Did at any point uh, in the last little while, was there some sort of dis- dissatisfaction or no. from from Johnny saying, you know what, I, I really want to play somewhere? Well, he wanted to play, but there was no negativity at all. In fact, he couldn't have been more positive. I, I think he was coming from the NFL. I think he was astounded uh, how gracious and accommodating Jeremiah was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, w- one of the reasons we made this trade is because June has tremendous confidence in Jeremiah. Our other players do. 
in addition to the, to the athletic skills, he's just such an incredible guy, and that was evidenced in the single Johnny. You know, 99% of the people would have been jealous of all the Johnny football notoriety. I mean, we're going into the season, and, and he's a starter, and he had all the promotions on TV or showing pictures of Johnny. And Jeremiah was just the opposite, you know, I mean, and, and how he welcomed him, helped him, taught him, spent time with him on and off the field. And, and I think Johnny was just, Johnny was blown away by the environment. I think he was having the most fun he'd had in a long, long time. But look, ultimately, he came to this league to play, and, and, and we knew that. And, you know, this trade is really about, you know, it's multiple things. But one is the emergence of Jeremiah, the confidence June and the players have in him. The other is that no one talks about, it, but is, is the importance of the number two quarterback. We would not have made this deal if, if Dane Evans had not progressed. I mean, he's really had a good preseason. He's getting better week by week. I, I happened to run into uh, Simone last night. I was doing a television interview at, at 11. I ran to Simone right after I had done the interview, and we were talking about the trade. And with no prompting at all, you know, Simone was talking about Tony and some of the other guys leaving. He'd missed them, and, and he was wishing Johnny well. But he looked at me, and he said, but hey, Dane Evans is the truth. And that speaks volumes. So you can't BS the players. You know, he see they see him every day, and so we feel really good about Dane. We feel good about Jeremiah, and then, you know, with all the talk about Johnny, we get it. But look, we picked up uh, one. We think one of the top ten or fifteen Canadians in the league, and Jamal Westerman, a really good football player who uh, is good enough without question to not only start but to have an impact. And then Chris Williams, and that's a great feel-good story. I mean, Chris was started here, had such an impact. We all know the twists and turns that it took. For, but for him to come back here, possibly finish his career as a tie cat, he's a perfect fit athletically. His skill set is perfect for June's offense. We just feel like with the addition of those two players with two number one draft picks that we got better both short-term and long-term and that we could do it because of our depth of quarterback. People are wondering, Eric, um, you know, maybe they're, they're making assumptions here, but what, uh, given uh, the outburst that how upset Brandon B- uh, Banks was the other night, uh, where does this leave Brandon Banks when Chris Williams comes in to basically become one of your wise starting wide receivers? Brandon will be fine. That's just speedy. He's, he's ultra-competitive. There have been other nights that he's been that way. I mean, that's something, obviously, that, that we need to continue to work on, but... Look, it's 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 easier to crank guys down than it is to crank them up. We love his competitive spirit. He wants to win, and you know this is a game of motion and passion. That was a frustrating game the other night. I mean, give Saskatchewan credit. They, uh, you know, they did what many thought they couldn't do, which was beat us back to back. They had an excellent game plan, and 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 they found a way to get it done. And you know, it's frustrating, but. You know, now it's an opportunity for us to respond, and there are highs and lows in seasons. And you know, when you've done this as long as we have, you understand that we've got back-to-back Eastern games, and it's imperative now for us to 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 focus, to to play at an elite level again, get it going at the level we had it against Edmonton and Winnipeg, and 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 to win these next two games in our division. Uh, Eric, let's talk about uh, the guy that you kind of touch base on. Uh, that is uh, the one of the players picked up from uh, from Montreal, uh, Jamal Westerman. He's thirty three. Uh, fair to say, this guy's a ratio breaker for you. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's you know he's he's a Canadian that's played in the National Football League. 
He was, uh, you know, then when he went to Winnipeg uh, and, and was an impact player for the Blue Bombers, Montreal got him in the in the off season. Was considered one of the more prized acquisitions uh, in in this last year's free agency. You know, he is a guy that at his age still plays much younger, quick twitch guy, plays hard, a talented high motor guy. And in the NFL those years, you know, he he was not a starter, so his body didn't take the wear and tear. So he's a young thirty three and. You know, we feel like he can come in and have an impact for us. Whether, you know, ultimately that's a coaching decision. That's that's a decision that'll be, you know, between Deke, Jerry Glanville, and obviously June, where he plays and how much he plays. Is he a starter from day one? Uh, but there, there's no, <laughs> there's there's no such thing as too many good players, and there's certainly no such thing as too many good Canadian players. And he gives us, you know, a lot of ratio flexibility. Is there a chance that both of those players, Westerman and Chris Williams, will take the field Saturday when you play Ottawa? Yeah, I mean that's certainly a possibility. But then again, that's that's I don't speak for the coaches. No. They make that they make those decisions. You know, we just know this, and you know. They obviously this was multiple people were involved in this process and you know and and you know from from Scott to to Drew Alming to Sean Burke to to June all the way across the line and you know I mean June was very very excited about the possibility of these getting getting these guys beforehand so he'll figure out how to utilize them best and and uh, bottom line plain and simple I think we got better. Eric, before we let you go, and, and I, I mentioned uh, the very brief conversation we had when Johnny Manziel signed, um, and that was, of course, prior to training camp, so I guess it's been a couple of months. Uh, how proud of you, uh, how proud of Johnny Manziel are you for the way that he has conducted himself? Because as you know, and you talked about it, a lot of people are, are pointing the finger saying, you know, he isn't going to change, he hasn't changed, what have you. Uh, just talk about the personality, the person, and how proud you are of him for basically, uh, I guess, really changing his life around in the last uh, several months. You know, Ted, I appreciate you asking that. People make mistakes in life, and, and certainly young people do, and you know, Johnny is, um, you know, to, to people on the outside, he's Johnny football. And we understand this is an entertainment business, but when you get beyond that, you're talking about a human being. And, you know, I've gotten to know the parents and gotten to know the grandparents. And, you know, I've seen the pain in their eyes. I've seen the pain in his eyes with what he's been through. You know, look, it, much of it's self-inflicted. And we'll, we'd be, he, he would say that first, as would we. But in life, when people fall down, when people have substance issues, when they have uh, you know, uh, mental health issues, and, and he's acknowledged both. From a human level, you pray for healing. You love to see young people that have fallen and had difficulty get back up and go forward. And, you know, you could, when the first time I met with him, you could see the pain in his eyes. We're going back to September of a year ago. You know, and then we met and spent more time, and I saw him in Texas, and you see him grow in the warmth, and just to see him over the last few weeks laughing, having fun, engaging with people, happy again. His skin looks good, you know, a positive outlook on life. It's, look, you know, it's not always a straight road in life, and it's certainly not for people that are going through recovery. But this is a guy that's made so many positive steps. And you just, from a football standpoint, you want him to do well. But more than that, on a human level, you pray the best for him. And, you know, it's, uh, I think this is a great opportunity for him. I think he's going to be excited to get on the field and be energized. And, 
you know, we just see a lot of things coming together for him, and, and we're going to cheer for his success, except for when they play against us. Well, I was going to say, uh, in a couple of weeks, you're going to Montreal <laughs> to play against him on uh, on a Friday night. Might I suggest, Eric, that that one, uh, may, the crowds of Montreal haven't that's been what they used to be. That, that's one that we may be praying for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that that one will have all, all the eyes on it. Uh, before we go, um, yeah. did did Johnny Manziel, um, in your eyes, and you talk about him ready to play, was he surprised by the level of competition? I mean, I'm you know we we can talk about the field and we can talk about the extra man and the waggle and all that stuff, but was he surprised by the athleticism of the players that perform in this league? Yeah, he was, and 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 all guys are that come up from the National Football League. I mean, he was. He was really surprised, I think, by the quality of the athlete. I think he loved the environment, the warmth, the friendliness of the guys. He was blown away by the quality of our facilities. You know, a lot of times people, even even some of the most ardent fans, don't realize what a first-class operation we have, the facilities that Bob and Scott have given us. You know, Ted, you've been there. Just the meeting rooms. I mean, our facilities are nicer than some NFL facilities. You know, our meeting rooms, coaching rooms, staff rooms, those kinds of things. And I think Johnny was just blown away by the whole environment. And, you know, he told me it reminded him of college. You've got guys without big egos, guys that get along well, they go and do things off the field. Look, we've got a wonderful league. And, and when guys come up from the United States, they uh, – in every respect, they love the country, they love the league. You know, sometimes it's hard to get them to come because they just don't know. Canadians know so much more about the United States than Americans do. But when they come up here, they find out our league and is pretty darn neat and, and, and a fun game. And, you know, whether Johnny plays two years or 15 years, I think like Duck Flutie, he'll go back south and be a huge advocate of our league. I'm just wondering, uh, did the, uh, the, and there's nothing wrong with the dorm rooms at Mac, but did that kind of take him back to the first year at the Texas A&M when, you know, the beds aren't the most comfortable, maybe the AC doesn't work at times, and it can be a little overbearing? I'm just wondering if, if that took him back to his early days. Well, hey, I guess maybe it's me the way I grew up. I actually enjoy being at Mac. <laughs> they, they, they treat us great out there. You know, the rooms are small, but they're nice, and, and the environment. But it's, you know, in, in some ways, it you know, after you've been, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's the number one pick in the NFL, a Heisman Trophy winner. But I think he just enjoyed the genuineness of this league, the, the non-pretense, the, as I said, the warmth, just the interaction with the guys. And, and from day one at camp, you, you could just see, you know, the smiles. And, and, and I, I developed a pretty good relationship with the family. And I'd hear from his mom on a regular basis. And more than once, Michelle called me and just said, hey, we just want to say thank you. Johnny is so happy. He's having so much fun. Just thank you to the organization. Um, I mean, that says plenty. I mean, I remember getting a text from her in the middle of the Edmonton game. And she said, I know Johnny's not playing, but but." Boy, Jeremiah is just terrific, isn't he? And this is just great. And I said, you know, Michelle, it's, yeah. And, and you know, Johnny's, the time's going to come for Johnny. Be patient. And she says, she texts back, we're all in. We can't appreciate how well he, how well he's being treated. And, and he loves Canada. So, you know, again, there was no pressure for them for us to make this move. We just felt like it strengthened our club. It gives him an opportunity, though, to get on the field and do what he loves. It's going to be great for it's going to be great for television. It's going to be great for Montreal, and and um, you know hopefully it gives us a couple of critical pieces in Jamal and Chris that give us a chance to do something that we haven't done in a long time here. All right, well we'll keep uh, an eye on what happens, and of course we got that date circled August third when the Cats play in Montreal. General Manager of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Eric Tillman. 
Thanks for reminding yeah. me. <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in. <laughs> Eric, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been long overdue. Hope, hope to talk to you soon, my friend. You bet, Ted. All, All right. the best. Thanks very much. That's uh, Tiger Cats general manager Eric Tillman talking about the trade with uh, the Alouettes to get Johnny Manziel. And August 3rd is what we're circling. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Somebody ran in front of me and he was covered up with a hat and he had a little bag on the side and there was an older guy running behind him maybe a hundred feet behind him I didn't think much of it but then I turned and as the the guy approached Dimitri's cafe just as we were driving past and I saw him pull out a gun and start shooting through the window and he probably fired about five shots that was the scene an eyewitness last night uh, to what happened uh, in Toronto. Ontario's police watchdog, uh, by the way, now says uh, three people have passed away as a result of the shooting in Toronto's East End. Uh, that is the uh, shooter and two civilians. The incident happened about 10 o'clock last night in the Greektown neighborhood. Uh, and that is a legendary part of Toronto. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The man armed with a handgun made his way down Danforth, firing as he went. Two civilians were fatally shot. The man exchanged gunfire with police officers, was later found dead nearby. Police Chief Mark Saunders said initially that a woman was killed and an eight or nine year old girl was in critical condition. Um, now, the SIU has confirmed that the attack is a 29 year old man. Ironically, and hopefully this is just irony, Toronto's uh, annual Taste of the Danforth is happening coming up next month, August 10th to 12th. It's the 25th anniversary of food and local vendors, and I don't know if you've ever been there or seen the pictures or seen the uh, television shots. Literally thousands of people enjoy a taste of the Danforth in Greektown in Toronto every year. Earlier this morning, uh, the Taste of the Danforth issued a statement saying everyone in the neighborhood is in a state of shock. This is a family-friendly area that welcomes people to dine and enjoy the atmosphere where these types of things don't happen. Unfortunately, this senseless act can happen anywhere. This time, it happened on the Danforth. Our thoughts right now with the family of those injured and uh, the uh, family of the woman who was brutally murdered. And, of course, this was issued earlier today. The festival has always has a comprehensive security plan, significant police presence in addition to private security. We have great support and communication with police. We will consult with them whether we think they anything else needs to be done. That was the statement earlier today from the people responsible for taste of the Danforth. Well, he has been front and center in this in the last little while, and again, he spoke with the media. Toronto Mayor John Tory expressed anger last night over gun violence in his city. We have a gun problem in that guns are too readily available to too many people. In fact, you know, the only people that really are supposed to have them are the police and very limited numbers of other people. And that is clearly not the case, and that is a problem that is international, and it's a problem that's domestic. And we clearly have to do more about it because uh, there are too many people carrying around guns and using them in whatever manner they use them and in whatever connection. And that's part of what we shouldn't conclude here, just that there was a gun used. And so uh, we have a, a gun problem, and uh, I just hope every step is going to be taken by all those who have responsibility. 
Well, that's uh, you mentioned John Tory, who has been uh, talking about this a lot recently with uh, gun violence in Toronto, not necessarily the one last night, but of course there's been uh, some shootings in Toronto the last little while. The murder rate has gone up, skyrocketing in Toronto this year. And uh, the mayor, I know, is getting really tired of talking about that and uh, is really getting frustrated with what's going on. Don't know much yet about the alleged shooter in the case. Uh, Toronto police, uh, the SIU, did say that it is a 29 year-old man. They have confirmed that he was the shooter, uh, but that's all that they're saying right now about uh, the shooting last night. Uh, These two people dead, 12 others uh, injured, including the nine-year-old girl. Um, So an autopsy will be done at some point today uh, to uh, find out if the man uh, died from suicide or was killed by police. But uh, there's all kinds of witnesses and statements and Uh, photos and pictures on our website at 900chml.com and just the absolute horror of people just enjoying themselves on a Sunday night, maybe even going out just to get a gelato with the kids. And then this happens. And again, people say it all the time. We don't expect it in, in this neighborhood. Has this now become the new norm in Toronto? or in other places in the city, and hopefully this will never happen again, but you don't know that. But a very, very scary situation, and I know uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory will be addressing members of his city council in a few moments to give uh, an update on what has been happening with their uh, investigation and what have you. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, by the way, did tweet about that incident, saying his thoughts are with everybody affected. So, um, by the way, Ted Michael sitting in for Bill Kelly, who was on vacation this week, and uh, he will be um, back, I believe he's back in a couple of weeks, as a matter of fact, now, taking time off to to uh, relax and uh, rejuvenate himself. And by the way, in a few moments, we'll be joined by a global executive producer for our uh, network affiliate in Toronto. Uh, he is uh, on scene. He is down in uh, the Danforth area in Greektown in Toronto. And he'll be joining us soon to talk about uh, what he sees down there, uh, the situation as far as police activity. I understand traffic starting to move a little bit more through that uh, area of uh, Toronto, uh, Greektown, which is in the east end, kind of an East York situation. But, you know, again, in a couple of weeks, a taste of the Danforth will be held. And you kind of wonder, the 25th, will there be even more people showing up this year to show their support? for uh, the people of Toronto who are once again reeling with uh, a very terrible situation. Now, we talked about uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory. Uh, Gun deaths have accounted for 23 of Toronto's 52 homicides this year, compared to 16 by the end of last year. Police numbers indicate this year 199 shootings as of June 25th compared to 170 compared to this time last year. So break down those numbers again. 23 of 52 homicides this year compared to 16 by the end of June 2017. 199 shootings as of June 25th compared to 170 this time last year. And there's been all kinds of uh, High-profile shootings, which you've heard about, some of them drive-bys, and uh, somebody took a shotgun out of their trunk and opened fire at a pedestrian. So just 
Nobody knows the answer as to when this is going to end, but we'll be joined uh, in a couple of moments by uh, a producer for and our sister station in Toronto, Jason Chapman. He's an executive producer of Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Uh, he is uh, now down uh, at the scene in uh, Greektown in uh, Toronto, and he uh, joins us now uh, on the air. Jason, how are you? And, uh, it's a difficult morning, man. It was a difficult night here last night. Uh, again, and I'll preface all of this with, what are we, three months out from the van attack in North York. Yep. I, I, I don't know. And again, the word that I keep coming back to is it's senseless, and I just feel senseless, I guess, by it. You know, I was going to start off my chat by saying good morning because that's such a hackneyed phrase, but that's not the case this morning. It's just morning. Uh, so how close are you to what happened last night in Greektown? I'm steps away. They, I mean, for Hamilton, I know lots of people know this area well. We're in the heart of Greektown. I'm at Danforth and Logan, which is a small street that intersects. But Logan's the heart of the Danforth and Greektown. I mean, there's a small parkette at the intersection here where you'll see kids play during the day. You see older men play chess in the evening. There's a Slovakia place right next to it, and people will take their Slovakia and sit there and eat it. You know, you know. Ted, yesterday was a crummy day in the area, right? It was not nice for most of the day. It was rainy and cold. Mm-hmm. Last evening, it got nice. And I'll tell you, I live very close to here. And I think we all had cabin fever. This place was packed last night. I wasn't right in the area, but it was just down the Danforth. And I think people just needed to get out. School's out. Kids were everywhere. Um, it's a busy part of Toronto. It's the heart of Greek town. You know, uh, we had the clip of uh, the mayor, John Tory, on uh, a couple of minutes ago talking about, you know, the senseless gun violence. And we just mentioned uh, some of the numbers, uh, gun deaths, 23 of the 52 homicides this year compared to 16 fatal shootings by the end of uh, June 2017. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, Jason, we all see the clips and we hear the mayor say Toronto is a safe city and it's OK. But you kind of have to think to yourself just what the heck is going on here, because I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel very unsettled today. And it's an interesting thought. I mean, I, I lived in London for a while, more of a Torontonian. Like, here's the thing, though. It steps away from here. And I've been here for quite a while now. People are doing yoga in the park just down the street from here. There's a school here. Summer school is still in session here. Um, I don't, I mean, who am I to say? I don't feel unsafe, and I live in this neighborhood. Um, this is a tragedy. This is what we're hearing. Let's walk through this. 10 o'clock last night, people are out on the damn floor. A guy apparently walking down the street in dark clothing pulls out a gun. A woman sees it run. He opens fire. He goes up and empties his cartridge and, and just is mal- it's just disgusting what he does for this woman. And then he starts to zigzag up and down Danforth looking for more victims. He's, what we're hearing from all sorts of witnesses is this man knew what he was doing with a gun. This man was zigzagging across, looking for victims quickly. And it sounds like he was using a handgun, quickly using the handgun, able to easily reload. And I I don't know what you do to prevent something like that. The mayor has been adamant that he wants to take extra measures to get illegal guns off of our street. And that's noble. But how do you stop a guy like this is where I always come back, whether it's here in Toronto or it's anywhere in the world. I don't know. This guy knew what he was doing, apparently. And no piece of legislation um, would make me feel less safe or safer. So I don't know. Some people will certainly feel unsafe in the city today. 
I talked to a couple who was having dinner about 10 stores down from um, where this happened last night. And uh, they're sitting on the patio. And the one guy, his name is Richard, wanted to run towards the scene and help people. And his girlfriend said, we're getting out of here. People are, I mean, such an interesting question. I, I don't know how... Uh, safe or unsafe people will feel. I, uh, by the way, our guest on the, the Bill Kelly Show, Ted Michaels, filling in for Bill this week, is executive producer of Global News Radio 640 in Toronto, Jason Chapman, who was at the scene this morning uh, on uh, Danforth Avenue in Greektown. Uh, Jason, tell us how much healing was there still to do with the city and the psyche of the city, given, as you mentioned, the van attack that happened several months ago. Were you, as a collectively as a city, just getting over that and then this happens? You know, it feels like that was yesterday, and it feels like it was 10 years ago. We, I mean, we haven't even decided what to do as far as a memorial in North York at this point for that attack. So, no, the city wasn't over it. No, if you're walking in that part of Young Street where the van attack happened three months ago, you still feel, I don't know, you just remember it happened. And here, I mean, this is where... The Taste of Danforth happens where 1.8 million people come every year to the festival. Uh, and I spoke to the spokesperson of that festival, and they fully expect to have the festival still go on. And police will be here like they're always here. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, what can I say? I mean, it's, uh, there's lots of police here right now, Ted. Um, they, I mean, my goodness, in front of my eyesight, there's 20 officers. Uh, they're doing everything they can uh, to piece this all together. But ultimately, the 29-year-old man at the center of this is dead. You know, uh, we, we, we mentioned off the top that uh, this is the 25th anniversary of the Taste of the Danforth. And you mentioned, and we talked about it as well, literally hundreds of thousands of people go there every year and they enjoy themselves and uh, the Greek food and the fun and the music and what have you. Um, you know, this the 25th is coming up. Something tells me you're going to get an even bigger crowd down there this year, A, because it's the 25th, but B, because of what happened last night. Yeah, you know what? Nobody's brought that up, Ted, and I would agree with you. Uh, I, I, I tweeted out something. I mean, I know that there's these hashtags that go around in Toronto Strong. I think it's just people are strong. And that's why I sort of talk about the normalcy around here is this is, this is our neighborhood, man. This is our city. Uh, this is our country. So, yeah, let's, um, let's uh, I mean, actually, uh, Councillor, uh, I'm Jason from Global News. So I don't know if you got a second or not. Oh, actually, sorry, guys. I'll let you go on. So, sorry, guys. Bye. I just thought... I uh, was going to stop somebody in the street there, but uh, I'll let them go on. They want to move on. The councillors are here. There's actually a city council meeting today. I was hoping to have a quick live interview on, but she's getting dragged away. So Councillor Mary Fragidakis is the councillor for here, but not surprisingly, she's sort of on the move. So sorry right. about the interruption. No there, problem. But, no problem. Yeah, there'll be a lot of people at the Taste of Danforth here. No doubt about it. It's, it's a really good point you make. Um, let's take the city back. Continue to take the city back. What's uh, what's the conversations that you've had with some of the people down there? I mean, you talked about yoga being held uh, in a park, literally uh, steps from you. Um, the people who live in that area, the ones that are down there today, uh, have they started some sort of a memorial with, uh, as people do, they come together, they put flowers, they put uh, wreaths, they put cards, what have you. Has that started yet, or are they still kind of all talking? Not from my vantage point. Again, we I, everybody has been kept well back of this scene since it happened uh, last night. So uh, nobody's been able to actually get to the sidewalk on Danforth and the parkette where 
the shots rang out. So people are milling around. They're coming up. They're talking to, I mean, uh, the, the media, met lots of, all, all the media from Toronto are here. Uh, but uh, as, of this, as of this point right now, I think people are just more curious. They knew what happened. they got to come see it, though, right? It's like here, really right here, and they're not on any street. I mean, I, I know that it's the clip we use on the news all the time. Is I can't believe it happened here. I don't think anybody happens, believes it happens when it happens anywhere, really. Uh, we live in a, live in a safe country. Um, and uh, so the, the, the residents around here, for the most part, Ted, are just curious. Like I said, there's a school where it appears that there's a summer school in session. Um, parents have come, dropped the kids off, gone home. The, the roads are, I mean, it's a difficult, difficult to drive around here right now. The roads are all closed off. And so, you know, you get the odd person who makes the wrong turn down. And, I mean, for the most part, they just sort of get it once they realize what's going on. Um, just before we, we wrap up then, um, so access to some of the businesses down there, uh, Greek town that you talked about police presence, obviously, and there's a lot of media down there, but are the businesses down there open uh, today or are some of them still, uh, not available to, uh, yeah. good, good question, Ted. So earlier I was a little bit further down the Danforth and the uh, residents started to show up or the uh, business owners started to show up and everything's closed basically. I mean, if you know Toronto well enough from uh, Pape over to Broadview. So it's a long, long stretch. Uh, they're showing up and they've been told, no, businesses aren't opening right now. Forensics is still on the scene collecting evidence. And until that's done, we're not releasing the scene. Uh, and so the one officer said they heard maybe around noon. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's still a massive police presence here and tape up like multiple blocks. So businesses are closed in a big stretch of the Danforth right now. Jason Chapman uh, is uh, an executive producer of Global News Radio 640 in Toronto and uh, lives in the area where that uh, shooting took place last night, that horrific act. Jason, I hope everybody gets a chance to heal uh, themselves and everybody gets down and enjoys uh, the taste of the Danforth uh, next month in Toronto. And our thoughts are with you, and uh, and hopefully we won't have to talk about this uh, for the foreseeable future. Let's, let's certainly hope that that's the case. Thank you very much yep. for uh, taking the time and uh, try to have, have yourself a reasonable day. All right. Take care, Ted. Thank you very much. That's um, Jason Chapman from, uh, as we mentioned, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. You could tell kind of a little bit, a little bit of, and uh, understandable, you could tell a little bit the anger in his voice saying, I live here. This is our city. Uh, we don't like this. Well, hopefully, um, as we mentioned, the gunman, dead hopefully we'll be we'll be able to find out at least a little bit of what would possess somebody to do something like that and uh, hopefully everybody else that is affected uh, that is in the hospital will get a chance to uh, make a quick recovery and um, I don't I don't want to say our thoughts and prayers are with you because people get upset when you say that but we're thinking of everybody our friends in Toronto you're listening to the Bill Kelly show podcast on 900 CHML time to talk about something that maybe people haven't thought a lot about and that is Lyme disease and the threat of Lyme disease and why it's becoming more significant. And somebody who's been leading the charge to talk about that is the MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, who joins us on CHML, Toby Barrett. Toby, I'd ask you how the summer's going so far, but I know it's been pretty busy. Well, I'm afraid I'm in my office in Queen's Park, so not a lot of ticks in this (laughs) office, but... uh, uh, just itching to get back down on the lake. Uh, so to speak, so to speak. Let's uh, talk, first of all, why you are so concerned and why you put out this uh, a big 
almost a public service announcement, if you will, about Lyme disease. Well, my original concern a number of years ago, and I'm down in the uh, Norfolk, the Turkey Point, Long Point area, which uh, is the hot spot, and these are, this is where the, the deer tick first arrived. There was so much confusion. Our medical community uh, didn't, quite honestly, didn't really seem to be up to speed or know what to do. Uh, there was very little action from government other than a, a few brochures. And there was so much misinformation about Lyme disease out on social media. Did you hear from a lot of your constituents about this as you go about your daily business or or maybe getting emails or phone calls from people saying, you know what, this is a problem that maybe should be uh, uh, taken a little more seriously? Well, yes, regretfully, uh, a number of friends of mine who who work in the bush, who work out in the marshes and Long Point and uh, Turkey Point do have Lyme disease, and they've had it for a number of years. It's uh, it's something that uh, affects not only those that, that work in the outdoors, but obviously hikers, uh, tourists, um, uh, children who uh, may sim- simply now just be playing in the backyard and there's some tall grass. Now, well, let's kind of talk about that because you mentioned you out uh, as a kid. We used to go to Turkey Point all the time or Evans Point or Long Point or what have you, and we would never think about, you know, we put on some sun repellent or something, but just go out and jump in the water and have a good time. Uh, how, how prevalent is it in your area when people go down, for example, to Turkey Point that uh, they should be concerned in thinking about Lyme disease? Well, I'm afraid the area is a hot spot, and uh, it's important for all of us to realize the whole Hamilton-Niagara area and south down to the lakes is uh, one of the uh, the most heavily infested area. It's spread up along Lake Ontario and, and heading west and north. So it's, uh, it's spreading relatively rapidly. Uh, and I, I think as a young person, I mean... Uh, I have a farm, and we're always outdoors. I don't ever remember picking up a tick until maybe just the last uh, ten years or four, ten years or so. And I find now, if I'm out uh, doing some work just on my own farm, I can pick up you know four ticks on a weekend. Now these are the dog ticks, the larger dog tick, which is of less concern. Uh, the deer tick or the black-legged tick is very, very small and very, very hard to detect. Well, I was going to ask because people normally, uh, well, I shouldn't say normally, but a lot of people think when they think Lyme disease, they think this is something that is on an animal, on a pet, and I shouldn't be concerned. But obviously that's not the case. You know, we've, uh, we just, regrettably now, we have to be so cautious. The public health unit, they put out material. There's so many preventative measures that can be taken. But having said that, we... We cannot back off from enjoying the outdoors and going down to the beach and walking in the woods and uh, on the trails. Uh, there are things, there are measures that can be taken. Uh, prevention is key, and uh, we certainly don't want to discourage anybody from enjoying the great outdoors. What would you like to see as the MPP for Haldeman Norfolk as far as a, maybe a proactive stance by the government going forward to uh, maybe raise the awareness about Lyme disease? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, we have government for a reason. We have an Ontario government that has a tremendous uh, resources, uh, especially in the healthcare field. I introduced legislation three years ago 
to uh, essentially mandate the Ontario government to do something about this. It passed with all party support. All three parties were on board, and it and my private members' bill actually became law. That's the first time in 23 years I've had that happen. So it became law. Uh, spring of this year, the Ontario government put forward, published a uh, task force report. Much of it uh, uh, followed the legislation that uh, that I had introduced and had gotten passed. So government now is mandated to do something about that, and there are a number of uh, very specific steps under law that the Ontario government has to up its game. And um, how, how much of a problem, in, and I know that this is the case all the time when governments are elected or governments uh, take over uh, uh, the start of uh, a new term, funding and finding the funding and trying to get the funding for something like this is crucially uh, very important, obviously. Uh, is that a concern of finding the funding and convincing them, for example, the Ministry of Health, that this is something that they should be concerned about? Well, the Ministry of Health should be convinced because this is a law now. The, you know, it's the law of the land. And uh, it's, to my mind, I mean, money's tight. I mean, we all know that. But it's not necessarily a, a tremendous draw on the Treasury. It's essentially a reallocation of existing resources. Most importantly to government with respect to Lyme disease specifically, and there are other diseases out there that are vector-borne, you know, carried by ticks or mosquitoes, for example, or sand fleas. Surveillance is so important. The mapping prevention, as I mentioned, is key. Uh, preparedness. And government workers, nurses, physicians have to be pre prepared. And prepared for the next disease that comes along as well. Early identification is so important. Uh, determining what the symptoms are, uh, adequate diagnosis, and there is criticism of Ontario physicians for maybe, you know, they didn't study this in medical school. Mm -hmm. And of course, treatment and management. We, we can't have people going to the United States for treatment or even going to the United States for testing. We, you know, we have the capability to uh, accomplish that in the province of Ontario. Uh, the other really important thing is uh, we have to up our game as far as research and get plugged into uh, other research that's being done to really find out what's going on with a with a disease that is very confusing and uh, very little is known about it. Could you uh, kind of go over, uh, and I know you've been talking uh, a lot about uh, prevention and making sure that you are uh, kind of in the know when it comes to Lyme disease, but kind of talk about what people should be checking and rechecking for, the, as you mentioned, the ticks that come from animals and kind of making sure that everything's okay. Well, so important. We're right in the, you know, the peak of the tick season, the middle of the summer. Uh, you know, oftentimes it's important to wear long pants instead of shorts when you're out in the bush. Uh, wear light-colored clothes. You can uh, see them easier. Uh, wear a hat or tie your hair back. Uh, there's various forms of uh, tick repellent, the DEET-type, uh, you know, sprays. Uh, it's... Uh, very important to constantly check. Uh, I talk about do a strip search when you come in, when you've been outside in long grass or out in the bush. Um, uh, it's important to have a shower within a couple of hours after uh, coming in. This will wash off any of these uh, ticks before they get attached. Some people, you know, put duct tape around the bottom of their pants or they use a, a lint roller to 
pick up ticks. There's uh, whatever works, whatever someone's comfortable with. Um, you just got to be real aware. You just got to check all the every nook and cranny of your your person after you've been out and. Out in the bush, or out in the field, or down at the beach. Our guest is the MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, Toby Bear. You know, Toby, I I think back and I talked about as a kid a lot of years now when we used to go to Turkey Point and what have you. Back then, the big thing was uh, watch out for mosquito bites and make sure that you put on the repellent. And every so often, you hear the you know people slapping, what have you. Uh, I know we still have the problems with mosquito, but boy, this seems to be a relatively new uh, ailment and uh, malady that we have to deal with because a few years ago people didn't talk about Lyme disease did they no it's it's an emerging uh, vector borne disease you know carried by the the Lyme tick you mentioned mosquitoes yep the big scare 10 or 12 years ago uh, west nile virus uh, being you know being transmitted say crow to mosquito to a human and uh, who knows what's coming next the uh, you know the climate is appears to be changing somewhat and uh, people are expanding more into uh, into uh, some of the outdoors or wilderness areas so there's a there's a host of other uh, critters out there ticks mosquitoes sand fleas uh, the lone what is it the lone star tick has just arrived it apparently carries lime so there's a an awful lot of stuff out there that uh, we just it's new. This is something we're not used to, and uh, they're used to it in, in, say, tropical countries or in the south. So uh, we, we really have to be aware. Is there a spray that can be done for ticks, or has that not been created yet? I'm not sure if there's been the broadcast spray, the kind of thing you might see, you know, say for mosquitoes down in uh, Florida. I, I think it's, uh, it's important to, you know, put a... Uh, a, a certain type of maybe insecticide or something on your pet or to do, uh, say, a mosquito-type spray on yourself to, to, just to confuse the tick or to keep the tick away from you. Our guest, uh, Toby Barrett, the MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, talking about Lyme disease and how people should be a little more aware and proactive. Uh, Toby, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to uh, talk to us. Uh, hope you can enjoy some of the summer down there in the Turkey Point, and, uh, and hopefully we'll get some rain soon because I'd love to get the corn down there, and I don't know, I'm, I'm a little concerned this year. <laughs> well, we've had a, they call it a half-million-dollar rain. We've lost some of our crops, so it's not quite a million-dollar rain, but... Yeah, we encourage everybody, uh, Hamilton people, come down to Dover, Turkey Point, Long Point, and uh, come down and uh, just keep an eye out for the little bugs that are around. <laughs> All right. Toby, thank you very much for uh, taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ted. All right. Thank you. That's Toby Barrett, the MPP for uh, Haldeman Norfolk, talking about something that uh, we mentioned people maybe aren't quite aware about, and that is Lyme disease and ticks and all those little nasty little things that uh, can come up. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.